Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Friendings. My name is Sabina, and I'm here to take a look at the end of friendships, how that loss is experienced, grieved, and made sense of over time. It's not something we tend to talk about, and I'd like to change that. Hi, you're listening to episode 10 of Friendings. That's right, I have hit double digits. I'm thinking I'll treat this episode as a sort of season one finale. I've got the beginnings of season two brewing and welcome your thoughts and ideas as I continue planning what's coming up next. It's been an amazing experience in terms of creating a space for reflection, both for myself and my guests, and also hopefully for you, dear listener. What I set out to do with this pod was to give voice to the experience of friendship loss because I suspected it was this universal experience and the feedback I've received has confirmed to me that, yep, we all experience this and we tend to feel quite alone as we try and make sense of losing people who were once very dear to us. There's a lot of talk right now about the loneliness epidemic and the mental health epidemic and often it's a lack of connection that affects our well-being. If we can learn to do friendship better, then maybe we don't have to lose these vital connections. I'm so grateful to my incredible guests who have so generously shared their stories here and in doing so have also been a tremendous support to me personally. Even though their experiences can be quite different from mine, it's still been so reassuring to know that Ah, other people are also wrestling with friendship breakups and it's not just me and there's not something wrong with me necessarily. I'm not this friendship detonating machine as I first pegged myself back in episode one, but rather friendships evolve and change. They ebb and flow and sometimes they just recede for good and it's possible to make peace with that. And sometimes it's not, but that's okay. We can still glean so much from these experiences about our friends, ourselves, and our shared human experience. It doesn't help that there's not a bunch of research on friendships out there, but I did hear recently that we tend to let go of around half of our friendships every seven years. And that's just, you know, because life changes, people move in different directions, so If that's true, then that's another reason to not take friendship loss quite so personally. Making this podcast about friendship loss, I've tended to focus on the past, but what I've come to notice is that many of my current friendships are in a state of flux. Looking at my circle and talking to other people about theirs, it's not really accurate to assume that our friendships are always going to be this stable element in our lives. And why should they? It makes sense that our relationships would be constantly adjusting to our changing circumstances and perspectives. In just the few months that I've been making this Friendings podcast, I can safely say that my friendships have been a moving feast. I've been practicing setting boundaries in order to try and reclaim my own peace of mind. And different friends have responded in very different ways. Um, Some friendships seem to have cooled as a result, while In others, it feels like a new level of respect has grown between us, and I really appreciate that. I had a situation where I felt like I was losing one of my closest friends, that our friendship wasn't going to survive her new romantic relationship. And, you know, it was really upsetting me and sort of thinking about it for a long time. And, 
you know, wondering what to do. Should I just let it go, leave it be, leave the ball in her court? Um, It was really hard. And I ended up bringing it up with her because, you know, I wanted to explain myself and because she's a brilliant friend and phenomenally open-minded, she heard me out and actually took what I said on board and I've since come to feel closer to her than ever. So that kind of blew me away because I was really close to just kind of letting it go. Um, I've also been enjoying some exciting new friendships and one of these was recently tested by a bit of a tricky conversation that ventured into politics. Not the best idea, I know. Um, And it also didn't help that I was in a bit of a delicate headspace about that particular issue that we were discussing. A whole lot of old stuff was coming up for me. And while I communicated my main points pretty well, I ended up saying stuff that was a bit muddled in parts, which my friend kind of pulled me up on. And I wasn't really able to clarify what I meant because by that stage in the conversation, I'd actually become quite emotional. So I literally wasn't able to think straight. And I sort of walked away from the conversation feeling awful. And she checked in on me a bit later on, asking if I was okay, saying she'd noticed stuff was coming up for me while we were talking. And that while her intention wasn't to cause upset, she was sorry if she did and that she was here for me when I was ready. And, you know, I just thought that she handled it with such sensitivity and held a space open for whatever was going on for me and also for our friendship. Uh, Recognising that what unfolded in our conversation wasn't personal in the sense that it wasn't about her or us, like that took a bit of emotional maturity. And she knew that there was something else going on for me, which I came to better understand later on in therapy. But even after I knew what was going on for me and that I was kind of triggered and all this past stuff was coming up, I kind of didn't really know how to be in the friendship after that. It felt like something had shifted, you know, and were we meant to just pick up where we left off? Like, yeah, okay, I wasn't at my best, but can I be okay with that in the same way that she was okay with that? And, you know, to be honest, I really hated that I was the one that had reacted and ended up being not cool while my friend remained calm and reasonable throughout the conversation. And I was really annoyed with myself, like I, you know, let myself down. But what I realized was she was actually a very safe person to have that kind of meltdown in front of. She showed me real grace. And now the question was, could I show myself the same grace that she showed me? what I wanted to do was slink away in shame and effectively exile myself. But if I can show myself some grace, then I can return to the friendship. And when my therapist pointed all of this out to me, there was something there that was really familiar. Like this has been a bit of a theme in my life. And you know, you often put it down to pride, right? Like when people hold their ground like this, but what if it's actually something closer to shame or embarrassment, which is kind of what I was feeling. Maybe affording this grace to ourselves and others is part of equipping ourselves to have difficult conversations. We've been talking about difficult conversations a bit on the pod and sometimes you need to have those in order to repair conflict as it arises 
rather than shying away from communicating altogether, you know, sweeping it under the rug or, or even just bailing from the relationship. Doing the work of repair following a rupture allows us to cultivate long-standing, authentic friendships. I'm currently reading Platonic by Marissa Franco, and in it, she discusses how we are conditioned to relegate the platonic love of friendships to a sort of lower tier relationship compared to romantic love or familial love. But unlike family, this is the love we enter into willingly. And friendship love often outlasts romantic love and is a lot less demanding, especially when you compare it to the often deeply unequal female experience of traditional heteronormative marriage or cohabitation. Next on my reading list is Clementine Ford's I Don't. But the more we allow ourselves to value friendship, the more committed we can be to cultivating long-standing, authentic friendships, to doing the work of repair following a rupture so that we can maintain connection and community and expand our access to companionship and intimacy and security and self-acceptance beyond the realm of romance, you know, which is kind of what's dictated to us as the only kind of entry point. Also, our willingness to enter into difficult conversations is actually a hallmark of a healthy democratic society. So this is a skill we need to foster. Okay, so hear me out. If a democracy is based on making space for different viewpoints and engaging in healthy debate so that new understandings can arise between participants, then each time we refuse to engage in difficult conversations, what we're doing is risking becoming more and more polarised and disconnected from each other, which actually ends up creating conflict on a much larger scale. And, you know, let's not take democracy for granted. It's not perfect, but it does provide a path towards things we actually value as a society like fairness, justice, peace, security, representation, participation, human rights. Take away democracy and you're left with dictatorships and old school monarchies and totalitarianism. Um, no thanks. So this is where I'll throw back to my previous mention of fractals, a concept discussed by Adrienne Marie Brown in her book, Emergent Strategy. Fractals suggest that how we are in relationships creates how we are in community or as a society. So you just basically scale it up and the same pattern repeats. So do we silence dissent in our own relationships by cutting people off if they express a viewpoint different to our own? Is it our way or the highway? Are we operating a dictatorship? Or can we trust that something worthwhile can arise from being open to different perspectives, even if it results in disagreement or asks us to make ourselves vulnerable and ripe for criticism, correction, and if we're lucky, growth? So that's something I'm keeping in mind as I contemplate moving forward in some of my friendships. You know, it's tempting to chalk it down to too much water under the bridge as something tainted or unsalvageable, something that can't be taken back. To move forward for me in this instance means to examine what has taken place and try and integrate that. I can see how it might even deepen the friendship. A few listeners have asked what stopped me from reconnecting with my friend Madonna, who I spoke about in episode two. I can look back on that friendship see what was going on for her at the time and for me and I can see it was a really tricky time for both of us when neither of us were at our best. Rupture was almost assured under those circumstances. 
So what stopped me from reaching out to her and saying, hey, how are you? You know, I've done a bit of reflecting about what happened and would you be up for a chat? And, you know, a part of me immediately pipes up and channels her voice saying like, what for? Too hard, too late, not interested, move on. Or, you know, she'll hear me out and accept my apology without any self-reflection on her part. Uh, This is pretty consistent with what I knew about her back then and you know, that would kind of make it deeply unsatisfying. And that's probably because I'm attached to some kind of, you know, perfect outcome. You know, you can't control how other people are going to react to you. So I'd have to go into that conversation with a really clear objective about what I want to achieve. And that has to be something that's within my realm of control, which is to, you know, be accountable for my part in the breakdown and then apologize and make her feel valued in the friendship. And maybe that's all I can expect. (sighs) Also imagine that, you know, say we do chat and clear things up, then what? We don't live in the same state. My life's changed a bunch and I think I've changed quite a bit as well. And what if there's no common ground anymore? You know, is it still worth it just to clear my conscience? Is it enough for me to just get the learning and apply it to my life and not necessarily clear it up with her. I don't know. I mean, there's different ways I think it can go. And and am I actually willing to be wrong about all of them? Am I willing to have my mind blown by some response I haven't even imagined yet? I've kind of wondered the same thing about the big one, the big friending that kind of made me start this podcast in the first place. And, you know, that friendship was the definitive friendship of my life. (laughs) I've been thinking about how to tell the story of the big one since I first mentioned it in episode one. It happened over 25 years ago, so my memory is going to let me down here and that's something I just have to accept. But I guess every telling has its flaws and limitations and a wobbly time frame is probably the least worrying. So here it goes. I'm going to refer to this friend as Catherine Hepburn. I mean, this woman was a force, an amazing intellect, a stereotype-busting woman with tremendous poise, fortitude and self-knowing. And of course, my friend happened to be a huge fan of Hepburn's. So Hepburn and I became friends when I was about 12 and she would have been 13. She was a new student at our high school and she just immigrated with her family from South Africa. She was a white South African. I think her mum was Croatian and father was Serbian. Uh, She had an older brother that she used to worship, same as me. Hepburn was focused and studious. She was intense, you know, had thick, wavy, long brown hair, like long as in never seen a hairdresser, wore it back in a plait or a low ponytail most of the time. She had a strong Afrikaans accent. We used to play a game in maths class called Buzz Fizz, where we'd go around the class counting up from one and had to replace each number divisible by three with the word buzz and all numbers divisible by five with fizz. So, for example, you know, you're counting... Buzz, seven, eight, buzz, fizz, 11, buzz, 13, 14, buzz, fizz, 16, 17, and so on. And if you stuffed up, you had to sit down. And we loved playing this game. But with 
Hepburn's accent, fizz sounded like fuzz. So before long, she was referred to as Buzz Fuzz by the class clowns, the little buggers. Anyway, that was deeply traumatising for her. I don't really remember how we got talking. We were in the same home group and became friends pretty quickly. The first conversation I clearly remember us having was when she had to get glasses. She was so upset. She said, oh, you know, I'm already ugly and these glasses are basically going to finish me. You know, typical 13-year-old girl fatalism. And I remember trying to reassure her as best I could while still subscribing to the same thought process. So our friendship was sealed with that particular trauma and we quickly became a twosome. In class, during recess and lunch, on weekends, you know, we'd catch the bus and meet up, go shopping, eat at Macca's, see a movie. We were best friends. And, you know, really most of my life, it hasn't felt as true to call anyone else my best friend. And I've never met anyone else like her. After a couple of years, Hepburn left our school. So we were only really together for half of year eight and then year nine before she left and went to a different school closer to home. And, you know, I went from being in this really tight-knit twosome to basically just being a floater, um, a kind of drifter, you know, sort of dip in and out of different friendship circles. And, you know, I got along well enough with everybody that I was able to do that, but no longer having a bestie, you know, a go-to person, a confidant, a guaranteed ally. You know, it was, it was really hard. I wouldn't call myself a social butterfly, but I was able to go and sort of dip into, you know, the cool nerds, the misfit nerds, which was kind of more my original cohort, the alternative grungy kids, and even have a bit of a flirtation with a jock here and there, you know, that kind of thing. But I never really found myself in that sort of close, safe friendship for the rest of my school years. And it was really hard and I missed her, but, you know, just kind of sort of had to get on with it. Meanwhile, Hepburn made a good friend at her new school and that was fine. You know, she had somebody there and they were really similar. Like this friend also had extremely long hair and came from a Croatian background. So, you know, they could understand and speak a little bit of Croatian with each other. So kind of almost like a sister. I don't remember feeling crazy jealous about it, but I remember thinking, oh yeah, okay, well, fair enough. You know, what do you do? I met this other friend a couple of times and it was fine, but I could see that their dynamic was quite different to ours, but Hepburn and I still stayed friends. We graduated high school with pretty average marks, the both of us. We kind of lost our way during the final years and just kind of fell in a heap. And we both ended up studying teaching. She did English Lit and History, I think, and finished her teaching degree and actually became a teacher. And I started environmental science but dropped out second year and switched to art and then I switched again but that's another story we went to different universities at different ends of town so you know we didn't kind of see each other as much but I still very much thought of her as my best friend um this is kind of where my memory gets really fuzzy but I'll tell you a little bit more about her first so as I said she had this amazing intellect she was so smart like even now I think she's one of the smartest sharpest, most articulate people I've ever met. 
like phenomenal knowledge retention, critical thinking skills, political acumen. Her father was really into politics and there were maps of Bosnia and Herzegovina in their home and I think the Balkans war was happening at the time and she was all over that because she'd be having these conversations with her dad about it all and she knew all the political machinations going on and I was hopeless. Like one time I confused Sarajevo with Somalia, which totally floored her because I was just this clueless, self-absorbed teenager. But, you know, she was also into Madonna and Duran Duran, Rob Lowe and all those John Hughes films. So like that was really what we had in common. By far, the biggest influence she's had on me is in my feminism. And this has been such a huge part of the way I see myself. And Hepburn was the one to introduce me to it. I was reading The Female Eunuch, Women and Sex, The Beauty Myth, and really reassessing how I saw my life unfolding, work, marriage, you know, relationships in general, kids, the works. So, so much of my life now and the choices I've made to get me here were informed by her and our friendship and the concepts that she introduced me to. I remember in year nine, I think it was history class with Mrs. Hardy. Mrs. Hardy was explaining something or another, I can't remember. But then Hepburn asked her about it, asked like this really intelligent question. And it, it demonstrated critical thinking and a curious mind. And Mrs. Hardy was just impatient because it was taking up time and taking the conversation off course. But no, it wasn't. It was deeper engagement with the topic. And that's what Hepburn was like. She made it hard for teachers. I remember our religious education teacher getting a little bit annoyed with her questions as well. She was just way, way beyond, way ahead of everyone. And as I said, I was just this kind of dorky Indian kid who just wanted to fit in. I was trying to wear the right clothes and have a good hairstyle. And I remember I used to get a bit annoyed with her long hair. I thought it was so daggy. I asked her if she'd ever cut it do something with it. And she was like, no, I like it. Like, wow, <laughs> to have that kind of self-assurance and knowing now I'd kill for that. But back then I was just like, but why aren't you trying harder? Because I was always trying so hard. Why aren't you trying harder? Like it was all my own shit. I even remember having a dream where she rocked up to school with her hair cut into a short bob and it looked really cute and all the students were flocking around her and, you know, being really interested in her. And that was my dream, like a sort of subconscious wish fulfillment or something. I don't know. It was just so bizarre. Anyway, a couple of years after graduating from high school, my parents moved away and this was a time of living fairly independently. Hepburn got her driver's license before me and she would just come pick me up and we'd go for a drive just wherever, didn't even matter. And we'd be in the car talking and singing and smoking and it was just freedom. We'd drive to the beach, grab some fish and chips or go shoot some pool. We were pretty good players, not there to pick up, just to play. Get home late, it was the best. And then I got my first serious boyfriend and we'd hang as a foursome with his best friend. And Hepburn would get frisky and have a great time with him, but never sex or even kissing on the lips. She was saving herself for the right one. The Spencer Tracy to her Hepburn. Still, she was very much in touch with her sexuality, whereas I was a bit behind and compared myself to her a lot. I saw that I was the one who was fully sexually active, yet she was the one having all these orgasms. And I felt 
like there was something really wrong with me and I was really resentful. But when I finally orgasmed for the first time, I rang her up straight away and she was so happy for me. We just were squealing to each other over the phone. (laughs) Oh, and in high school, we'd be on the phone for hours and hours. One time all the way through the night into the morning, we'd watch 21 Jump Street on a Saturday night and then get on the phone drooling over young Johnny Depp to think what she'd make of him now. So like the other friendings I've talked about, This one also happened in two parts. The first I think was when I was around 20, 21. I'm really fuzzy here on timing. Sorry. She brought me, she bought me a book. It was Alias Grace by Margaret Atwood. And I got pissed off. I remember I'd been feeling like Hepburn was always trying to push me to be more intellectual like her. She was studying English lit and history and was loving it. And we talk about it a bit, which was fine, but it wasn't for me. And I think this feeling had been building for a while, like she wanted me to be something I wasn't. And when I saw the book, I just pushed back and said I wish she'd stop trying to push her literature onto me and that I'd had enough of trying to be something I'm not for her. And, you know, I just kind of spoke my mind very bluntly and was quite angry. And I think she left reeling. And that was it. I felt very justified in telling her off. But now I think, Jesus, Sabina, fuck. We didn't talk for a while after that. I can't even tell you how long. Let's say six to 12 months. And then when a friend gave me a Sarah McLaughlin CD, it was fumbling towards ecstasy. I immediately thought of Hepburn when I listened to it. And I loved it. And I just thought, yep, she's going to love it as much as I do. So I bought a copy for her, drove over to her family home and left it in the letterbox, no note or anything. And she rang me after that, knowing that it could only be from me. And we restarted our friendship. We were back to catching up a lot, though soon she moved to a regional area for a teaching position while I was still very much city-based. My friendship circle had expanded through my tertiary studies and part-time work and hers had as well. I had a shiny new waitressing friend that I was pretty excited about and I was keen for them to meet. Once Hepburn and I both had full-time jobs, we would spend a good chunk of our paychecks at our favourite Italian eatery. We felt so grown up going there, you know, and ordering a bottle of wine to share. And that's where I brought my new friends so they could finally meet. I remember having a great time chatting and laughing, but noticing that Hepburn wasn't joining in very much despite my attempts to engage her. Her long hair was out, loose, but falling over her face. And she was kind of sitting in her chair looking down. So the hair was just kind of falling around her her head. And I remember thinking it was really odd and even feeling a bit irritated, like I wish she'd just put her hair away. And I can't remember the exact sequence of events here, but later on I asked her what was up with her and the hair and she said that she had been crying and was trying to cover it with her hair. I was just so confused, just not understanding why on earth she'd be crying. And she said she felt sad and left out. And look, I don't remember if this occurred in the same conversation, but we were at my place. I remember being in the driveway and I was walking her to her car and just fed up because I couldn't understand what I did to upset her like that. And that 
I had a right to have other friends and I tried to include her and hope that she could make more of an effort and that I couldn't meet her unrealistic expectations for our friendship, that it felt stifling. I mean, if I'd explained all that rationally and calmly, that's one thing, but I basically yelled at her again and once again, she left upset. And that was that. I really can't tell you exactly what was going on for me to cause me to have such a strong reaction. I wish I hadn't. I can see now that she was hurting, feeling a bit insecure, and I should have been gentle with that. I could have reassured her. Maybe it was sharing our special place with a third party. My mum has since said that Hepburn was always very possessive of me, and maybe there's something to this, or maybe it's just a mum being protective, but... Back then I'd been living with my brother who was getting into partying big time and our place would end up being a party house every weekend and I was starting to feel really over it. There were strangers in our home under the influence in the middle of the night till dawn and there'd be doof doof music playing at all hours. I'd just started my first job which was also an adjustment. I think I must have been under a bit of stress at that time and I took it out on Hepburn. Not long after our falling out, I started looking for my own place and moved out as quickly as I could. I found a little studio apartment around the corner from our favourite eatery and rang Hepburn at home. She came to the phone but was fairly cool and distant. I updated her on my situation and apologised for lashing out at her. I told her I had my own place at last and would love to see her, but she was pretty non-committal. I'd just gotten my first mobile phone and gave her my number to call once she'd had a chance to mull it over. And then we hung up. I never heard from her and I still have the same number. I was 24 then. She would have been 25. And... I've since thought about her often, though less and less as the years have passed. I dream about her every now and then. We're often at a pool hall and I'm so elated to see her, though she's still somewhat distant. She's impossible to find on the socials or even a simple web search. I'm fairly certain she's still teaching and I know teachers tend to be discreet online to maintain privacy from students She turned 50 this year and in the lead up to her birthday, I managed to find her brother online and sent him a message to pass on to her, wishing her happy birthday and providing my phone number again, saying I'd love to hear from her. I didn't. Maybe I hurt her so badly there's no forgiving it. Or maybe she's forgiven and forgotten. Maybe she can see how young and stupid we were in our early 20s and look at those two friends with compassion but still not see the point in reconnecting and what would be the point we live in different parts of the country I'm sure we're living quite different lives so much time has passed I can look back now with better insight into what was going on for me back then I had been in survival mode until Hepburn came along moving to Australia in 1983 as a person of colour was tough and I set about assimilating in earnest. I changed the way I looked, sounded, dressed. It was all I could do to fit in and hope for acceptance. My parents and my brother were fighting their own battles and I had to figure it out on my own mostly. I was the quiet one in class, not drawing unwanted attention. 
dressing the same as everyone else, sounding the same as everyone else, wearing my hair the same as everyone else, certainly not down to my ass. Hepburn once called me a chameleon and now I understand she was right. All my energy was going into fitting in and there was no headspace for politics or literature or history. I had already reinvented myself at eight years of age. I saw Hepburn as trying to change the goalposts and I wasn't having it. The possibility that I still wasn't good enough. The thing is, I feel now I'm the person she wanted me to be way back when. I'll read Margaret Atwood now. I'm much better acquainted with politics now. It's all about social justice and philosophy and even history. And I'm so much better at valuing and honouring my friendships now. (sighs) If you could only know me now. I was listening to a podcast the other day where a high school English literature teacher was talking about how incredibly rewarding it was to teach teens and see them engage with the material and witness their minds opening up. I immediately thought of Hepburn and was so happy at the possibility of her experiencing that kind of fulfillment in her work. She would be an amazing teacher, you know, the opposite of Mrs. Hardy. I imagine her heading home to a cosy place that's full of books and arty posters. She said she'd never marry or have kids. She just knew, and I believed her. Still, I hope she found her Spencer Tracy and has been having a deeply passionate affair of body and mind. Maybe he lives next door and they each have a side entrance to let the other in, the way Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton used to. I hope she had a special friend to celebrate her 50th with. I am deeply sorry that it couldn't be me. So, this is Friendings Season 1 done. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have found it worthwhile enough to keep coming back, well, that just fills my heart with gladness. I started this podcast with next to no expectations, but if I had to name one, it would be that I'd have listeners in Australia and New Zealand, as this is kind of where my peeps tend to be. And boy, have they come through. These amazing people have supported me at every turn. Sometimes that's meant being my guinea pigs listening to recordings before I hit the publish button. At other times, it's meant urging me to keep going when I've had a crisis of confidence. Always it's meant sharing something of themselves with me in simply acknowledging that the stories on the show have resonated. But then my meagre analytics tell me that there are listeners further afield. So if you happen to be one of my listeners in the US or Canada, the UK, Belgium, Ireland, Germany, Romania, France, the Philippines, India or Argentina... Wow. Hello and thank you. I have no idea how you found the show, but I hope you'll reach out via Instagram DMs and say hi and maybe even share a story of your own. I have received a few questions from listeners, which I'll just take a few minutes to answer now. So uh, Lauren asked, if Madonna walked back into your life, what next? How would that feel for you? What would you do? Hmm. I would welcome Madonna walking back into my life. I think that 
it would be a really satisfying thing. It would give me a chance to take ownership of my part in our friending and just reiterate to her how much she meant to me. And in terms of what next, I think that really depends on her. What I'm realising just through this experience of making the podcast and the reflecting I've been doing on friendships and some of the work that I've been doing on myself is that I really am looking for people to meet me where I am in terms of, you know, a certain level of self-awareness and accountability. And I think that if Madonna and I could have a conversation where we both are able to be honest and vulnerable with each other and just talk openly about what was going on for us and to take responsibility for ourselves in this and use the learnings from that going forward, I think that would make the world of difference. Without that kind of equality, it's hard really to maintain any friendship. And, you know, I have no doubt that she's capable of that. I think to do that takes courage. To do that feeds into all of your other relationships as well. So one friendship can be an opening into healing a lot of other relationships. And I would love that if we could be that for each other. Another question If you had clearly communicated your boundaries with Chrissy Hind, would she have been on board? (laughs) Um, I don't know. That doesn't mean I shouldn't have. I absolutely should have. And I think that's something that I'm getting better at is telling people just what works for me and what doesn't and doing it in a kind way. And I think that would have been challenging for me back then because there was all this resentment that had been building over time. You know, what I can say is that with Chrissy, what she'd shared with me, there had been this issue in her family around a deeply unfair inheritance where she really felt she had missed out and I think she kind of had this attitude like she was hard done by and that she was owed something and sometimes it felt like that translated to all her relationships that you know she was just owed something by people I'm not a psychologist I'm guessing here but you know I did I have thought about that since and whether that plays into how she kind of felt quite entitled to make these asks of people that, you know, I I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, look, I don't know is the short answer. But I haven't, I wouldn't give up hope. So thank you, Lauren, for those questions and thanks for listening. This one is from Wendy. Do you still use these learnings from Madonna in your life relationships now? And yes, yes, I do. I think the big learning from the breakdown with Madonna was that I didn't listen to myself. I knew I wasn't up for that visit. And I tried to push myself 
I tried to engineer it so that, you know, I could manage it and kind of get my needs met while also trying to make Madonna happy. And I think what I've learned is really I need to be really clear on what I can give and what I can't give and then use that as the starting point. So, yeah, that's been a huge learning. Thanks, Wendy, for that question. The next question is from Mary. How do you feel about friendships where you see each other every now and then? Each time you can pick up where you left off from last time. Do you find satisfaction in these friendships? Look, as I have gotten older, that tends to be how most of my friendships go. Like life is just busy and, you know, friendships where we both have kids and all of the running around that's entailed with that. I mean, I'd love to see all my friends more, but, you know, that's just the reality. And if a friend is in a similar position, then you have that sort of mutual understanding of each other's circumstances. And, you know, I think where friends aren't in that position, if they're single or, you know, child-free, you know, that's something that I try and be sensitive of. And, you know, no doubt I let those friends down just because, you know, I'm tired <laughs> um, and I need to go to bed by nine. <laughs> That's just the reality. Um, but, you know, one of my closest friends is in another town and, you know, we hardly talk. We might talk two, three times a year and we do just pick up where we left off and I value that friendship so much. Um, and get a lot of satisfaction from that. Lena asks, is accepting different points of view, accepting that person's point of view, even though you completely disagree and do you have to be okay with it? What if you flatly disagree with their viewpoint? Would you still sit with that person or be their friend? What if that other person supports casual racism or something minor, but it's their viewpoint? Um, You know, viewpoints of funny things I think about you know some viewpoints that I have held very tightly at one stage in my life and then now it's completely turned around so there's that fable about three blind people feeling an elephant and trying to figure out what kind of an animal it is and one of them feels its legs and says oh my god this is a, a massive beast and another one feels its ears and says, no, it's a bird with like these amazing wings. And the other feels its tail and says, no, it's a snake. It's got to be a snake. And, you know, that's kind of what viewpoints are like. And it's good to keep that in mind that we each come at it from our own tiny, minuscule perspective. And that, you know, you never can see the whole picture. And so it's good to try and stay open-minded and curious. And, you know, things like, casual racism or politics or you know some of those more problematic things I mean, people can change people can learn haven't we all been casually racist at one point or another and you know there's this website that I visit regularly called Laney Gossip I love it the founder Elaine has really owned up to you know when she's done really horrible horrible sort of reporting and use sort of racist tropes and that was the culture back 
in the early 2000s and, you know, you think about what happened to Britney Spears and how awful the media was to her and how little compassion there was just, you know, in terms of mental health issues and, you know, we've all come a long way from those times and it's really about allowing people to recognise that and learn from their mistakes and whether or not you indulge somebody in that or you engage with somebody with, you know, your own viewpoints to try and counter that and expand their realm of thinking, you know, that in the end is a personal decision. Like sometimes you're up for that and other times you're not. And, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's, again, about really protecting your own mental health and well-being and and energy as well. I guess maybe it depends on how much that person means to you. Do I think friendships of utility are lower on the hierarchy of friendships? This is a question from Verity. Thank you, Verity. No, I absolutely do not. I definitely have friendships of utility and they serve a purpose, a really, really important purpose. I think we're always going to have people who mean different things to us and fulfill different roles, and that's okay. Um, Not every relationship is going to be one that's super intense and intimate. You know, you're not going to have that connection with everybody, and you don't need to have that connection with everybody. You can really value and appreciate and make that person feel valued and appreciated for you know, that role that they fulfill in your life and that you fulfill in theirs. That's what community, I think, is about as well, you know. And when you've got kids, my God, the whole it takes a village, it really does, it takes a village. And a lot of that is agreements that are around utility and helping each other out. And that is a beautiful thing. And I don't know where I would be without it. Okay, I'll stop there with the questions. If uh, you do have some more, please keep them coming. I'll endeavour to answer them next season. I do love it when um, my listeners engage. So thank you so much for taking the time to um, send your questions my way. I cannot end the season without thanking my guests, these brave souls who willingly revisited all pain and shared something of themselves with me and with our listeners when they really didn't have to, who recognized the opportunity for self-reflection and didn't turn away from it. It just goes to show that we often carry these losses with us far longer than anyone would imagine and that giving voice to them can open up new ways of thinking about how we are in relationships with ourselves and with those we love. So thank you, Tori. Kessia, Fern and Claire for your trust and for your generosity of spirit. That is all from me for now. I'm going to take a little bit of a break and I will be back in 2024. I hope everyone has had a good end to 2023. There's been a lot going on in the world. Lots to process and integrate all the more reason to be kind to ourselves and to keep those we love close. I will see you in 2024. Bye for now.
Friendings has been created by me, Sabina Shah, on Paramount Country. Writing, production and sound engineering also by yours truly. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review or tell your friends about it. It really helps, so thank you for that. Feel free to get in touch via Instagram at friendings.show. Oh,